This is Coda Radio, episode 179 for November 16th, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you about what those great sponsors, as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is the excellent and established Mr. Dominic on the East Coast, but not in Florida anymore. Don't, don't mix that up. Why, yes, it is Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello there, Michael. Actually, I'm in Seattle today. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would no, be just, so... just to mess with you. No, no, no. <laughs> that'd be, you're like, I'm, not, I'm in Seattle, but I'm not visiting. I'm not coming up there. I'm just, I'm like 30 miles south of you right now. That's all. I'm like, I have, I have a telescope and I'm just watching. <laughs> watching you. I like that. That's good because it, then it keeps the show consistent. You know, we like to have consistency on Coda Radio. We go for that deep, rich you know, uh, Skype I really was going for the whole Carmen San Diego. You have to you have to find me kind of thing. Mm, okay, okay, yeah. Well, you know, I I actually, if you were in Seattle this week, I almost would not have been able to be uh, here with you because I just got back from System seventy six. I was in uh, I was in Denver, Colorado last week, and I cannot wait till that UPS shipment comes in from me. Ooh, that would be well, nice. yeah, <laughs> that 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 shipment of uh, of those machines that I uh, snuck out of there, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's likely. Well, I'm excited to get that, Mr. Dominic. We are gathered today for episode 179. I think I, I hope I didn't say. I don't think I said 178, but it feels like 170. But it's 179 of the Coda Radio program, and it, it it is going on the air with some really big news that just broke two hours ago, coming out of Microsoft. And I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but it looks like Microsoft's delayed, and some people are saying maybe it's even killed. Is Android? Yeah. What is it? A pocket veto? We call that. We're yeah. Like, yeah. We'll to talk about this later. Yeah, yeah. Project Astoria, which was, if I recall correctly, uh, that that project that was going to make Android apps work on Windows, right? Yeah, the magical port your app from Android to Windows thing. Yeah, not yeah. Happen. So what's going on here, Mr. Dominic? You know, it, it, the Astoria it little, Bridge. Yeah, it was a little magical to begin with, right? This whole this bridge thing's over. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just don't think it makes made sense. They have, uh, oh, geez, you know me, I'm a sucker for these. I love these. Hold on a second. They have our. They have a video. Do you want to watch it? Maybe it explains uh, what his story is. We'll just listen to a second because why I like these videos, especially after you kill a project, is you get to hear that original marketing enthusiasm and spin. You know, Here, I'll just play a couple of seconds of it just so we can hear what that's like. Hello, my name is Agnieszka Gerling. I'm a group program manager for the Microsoft Operating Systems Group. The Windows Universal App Platform enables developers to create amazing and diverse experiences from mobile apps to holograms. If you build apps for other platforms, Windows 10 provides bridges to let you bring your code to Windows. The technology we're introducing today enables you to build great Windows apps while reusing your Android code and tools. Here, Timber is a Windows app derived from an Android code base. Users tell us they really like the unique Windows design. When you build an app with this technology, it delivers the kind of experience, performance, and security Windows users expect. So this was part of the overall big strategy, the bridges for Windows 10. I forgot about that. 
So this was part of a bigger story around Windows 10 about how easy it was going to be, be to bring your, uh, your, your pre-existing code over to Windows. Right. Remember, there was going to be one for iOS, one for uh, Android, yes. and, and I think that's probably going to be it. Yeah, I mean, okay, so let's just make the not-so-large intuitive leap that they're killing this, right? Mm-hmm. It could be for a number of reasons. It could be hard. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Anything, you know, I don't love magic, right? This seems a little magical. Um, it could be that maybe they'd rather just worry about iOS since little controversial here, but, you know, the apps that get talked about, the apps that get written up on uh, on the next web, the Verge, places like that, tend to be more iOS-specific, if not cross-platform anyway. Um, Or maybe someone woke up and realized that it's just a bad idea. Hmm. I don't think what I make of it. And to me, it seems like like the mistake should have never been made in the first place. Well, if you remember when you first talked about it, my big issue with this whole, like, magically port your stuff over was, one, nothing's ever that easy, right? There's just no way. And, and two, even if it – let's just say in a world where it was possible to do that, right? Well, as a developer, I still need to support some level of Windows customers. And why would I do that? Oh, yeah, they, and also, if I really love .NET, Xamarin does still exist. They say, the quote is, the story of Bridge is not ready yet, but other tools offer great options for developers. Yeah, Xamarin. We're committed to offering developers many options to bring their apps to the Windows platform. That begin with the letter X. Now, they say, Recode says that the Android tool was seen as the riskiest of the four bridges, you know, really, because really it was iOS, BlackBerry 10, and... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that last one? <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, but <clears throat> yeah. I mean, really, I you know, not, not to be a troll, but we actually haven't really got an update on the iOS bridge either. Now that you think about it, yeah. not, there hasn't been any updates on that either. Um, Talk about moving targets, right? Now, when they were asked about this last month, they just say, "Well, we're very focused right now." Hmm. Yeah, I, I just don't. So here's why I say I don't think this idea should have gotten off the ground. I don't understand why it stopped now than if, since it did. Is what I, I remember when we covered this on the show the first time, I remember my, my immediate reaction to this was, well, isn't this just going to get you a bunch of really kind of like non-native ported feeling applications over to the Windows platform? At the time, we weren't sure what would happen with the UI elements and things like that. Uh, but it seemed like a way to kind of get a set of second-rate applications for your platform. You know, here you have some platforms that are known for having the best apps – and maybe even exclusive apps, and then you have then, you, then on right. the other end of the spectrum, you have the Microsoft platform known for having uh, oh, the yeah. knockoff or the, the the ported apps, right? The, the the crappy apps, and that's not what you want to be known for. I thought it was. Yeah. All, right, all, right, all right, can we have just little real talk here, right? Real talk. Go ahead, Mr. Dominic. The Android app store is full of garbage. I mean, really, I love my Nexus Seven. I often use Android phones, but. It doesn't have that every week I can pop open the App Store app and be like, oh, new, interesting, beautifully designed app. It's, oh, garbage, Mm. where this is fake and a knockoff. Mm. So, one, I I really don't believe that this was a doable goal to any reasonable degree of of satisfaction, technically speaking. I may be wrong. Certainly, the developers at Microsoft are a hell of a lot smarter than me. Uh, But that aside... If I if I was you know Satya Nadella or whoever makes this decision, right, and I'm like, okay, we're gonna make a bridge. Why would I not just make an iOS bridge, right? Because Android's already something of a second class citizen in terms of what I think the kind of apps they want are, right? I think Microsoft really needs those 
you know, artists and developed apps, for lack of a better term. I know that's you keep like liking to use that. Organic term. or organic, all natural. Organic, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I made this app while using my AeroPress and, <laughs> and running off solar power. <laughs> I had a yogurt and green tea for breakfast yesterday. I saw that. How are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling a little left? Feel, are you leaning to the left now? Well, actually, it was so funny because I threw my fist up in the air and I think I transformed into Bernie Sanders <laughs> for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that hair. You got to comb your hair, man. You got to comb the hair. It went out of control and I started to fly. It was weird. <laughs> so I actually do – I do kind of grok your point. I follow what you're saying. Uh, I guess where I sit at this is uh, in, in a way I kind of respect them. I'm glad I – mean, if they are pulling the plug, I'm glad they're doing it because I think – I think the path to getting really great applications for their platform is not through cheap knockoffs or cheap ports. And so I think I, I – it looks haphazard from the outside and I think the press is kind of burying them for it. But I actually think it demonstrates a little bit oh, of uh, courage. It, it, if it – so, OK. So I was tweeting uh, the author of this article, uh, uh, Nate. If this is an intentional decision, it's the right decision, right? But yes. I have a sick feeling, and this is totally criminology. I have no reason to believe this, that all the stuff about these bridges, which is like total disorganization, total scrambling to have a story, to have something to tell developers. Right. And basically, the Android one just never started, right? I, I don't want to say vaporware, but yeah. Mm, well, I guess that by the, I guess the technical definition of it right now, it is vaporware, isn't it? <laughs> right, because it... it you know, this bridge would be the perfect thing to do in the open since they're so big on open sourcing. Oh my gosh, you were right. right, and that so, would really that would really actually give it some legitimacy too. And they're not afraid to work with Google apparently anymore. So why was this so cloak and dagger if it really existed? I'd like to hear the audience's thoughts. Go to radio.reddit.com or jupiterbroadcasting.com/contact. Oh, and also, can they not buy out Miguel de Acasa still? I mean, yeah, that would be good. Why no, haven't I think they should, and I think it, I think it would actually be a great tool. I think if they did that, I think they could bring in a team of super talented people who have deep connections to the other uh, to to uh, alternative developers. I mean, I think it would be a really smart move. But uh, and you know, having used Xamarin, and occasionally I peek back in, Xamarin would be so much better if they had billions yes. of dollars behind. If they had some, if they had some serious, yeah, some, some ser- yeah. yes, exactly, yeah. exactly, especially, and 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 if you think about this too, Mike is like. Does Microsoft want somebody else to buy Xamarin? Because I mean, is Xamarin really going to be? Our, is is Xamarin going to be a thirty year company, or are they going to? You know, no, they're going to go right. They're, I mean, they're they're going to be gone. Think about hey, remember buying tools from Borland? Because I don't, because I'm too young for that. But um, <laughs> nice one. I mean, you have to be epically old. I'm looking. At Come somebody. on, dude, stop it! You're making me feel like an old man. I'm not that old. Quit it. Wait, did you did you pay for a compiler? <laughs> <laughs> Back I mean, in my even, day, you respected the box. You got a you got a pamphlet <laughs> with a disc. Five floppies. You had to drive to the store. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. So while we're talking about Microsoft and working with Googs, uh, maybe this is why they're not working on that bridge. Maybe they're too busy contributing to GoLang. Uh, as of this week, Microsoft has become the top contributor to Go. And I don't, I don't, I don't understand, but. I'm really concerned about this, actually. Number two is Google. That makes sense. Number I, I, number three, CoreOS. Number four, Square. Number five, Hoyles. Uh, number six, Docker. Number seven, GitHub. Number eight, Mozilla. All of that makes sense, except I don't know who Hoyles is. Golang but, is number 12 on the list, which is kind of funny. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Microsoft, number one. Do you have a guess why? 
No, it's got to be Azure. So it's, it's Azure. All, yeah. all day long. Yeah. They, uh, they, uh, on October 27th, uh, there was a story on uh, ZDNet saying that uh, Mark Rusunovich, uh, the CTO of Microsoft Azure, announced all, at All Things Open, which was just a couple weeks ago, that Microsoft is adding experimental support for Google's open source Golang into its Azure cloud service. So they're probably you know, doing a big code dump a bunch of a bunch of stuff to make it work better on Azure Upstream. You know, it's funny because I have been reading a lot about Go, um, both positive and negative. And I'm a little surprised how that Microsoft is jumping into this. Really? How come? It just seems like they had there are right now I feel like they're supporting so much, right? They're doing the .NET Foundation, they're open sourcing .NET, they're supporting containers, they're supporting Docker in particular. Um, they they're basically lovers of a canonical now. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Um, they've specifically done things for Node, specifically done things for Rails. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, these are all and, true points, yeah. I mean, at what point does this stop making sense? Well, right? I, I think it makes – I think what it shows you is the company is truly aligning top to bottom. Well, not top to bottom, but in all the areas that matter for developers, they're truly aligning behind Azure. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know – it would be interesting to actually find out what percentage of Azure is actually – Microsoft, like in terms yeah. of staffing like, and uh, like, no, 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 like .NET, like what percentage of applications oh, on Azure are Microsoft code? Or how do we want to say this? Are written using Microsoft owned? Another right? way to put it would be how much of the services running on Azure are using the golden Microsoft platforms and, and key right. features? Yeah, or how many of them are actually running Go and Ruby and Ubuntu and all those things? Right. right. I believe the last number I heard for Ubuntu was around twenty percent, but there's other Linuxes you can run on there too. So think about that. Right, and you can, like, stand up a WordPress site. I mean, there's all that kind of stuff, too. And you know what else, too, is on their back end. So because they're, a, they're a, you know, an infrastructure on demand service, you can, have, you can have virtualized switches and routers. And those virtual switches and routers and their physical switches and routers are running yeah. Linux now. Yeah, a Microsoft, a specific Microsoft distribution of Linux. They've created their own distribution. Yeah, I, I don't. Really, it's a very different Microsoft than what you and I, in particular, oh my gosh. based on our age, might be. Used oh my to. gosh! Oh my gosh! Yeah! Oh yeah. my gosh! Oh my! I mean, I, I, I you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I there was a, there was a significant portion of my career which was built around combating the Microsoft sales narrative and and migrating people's infrastructure over to Linux and combating that in Washington State. And I mean, there was. You know, Microsoft after Microsoft after Microsoft uh, installation going to and uh, and and saving their butts. I mean, for for years and years. And then when I got on Linux Action Show, I looked at it from the desktop perspective, and it was Windows versus the Linux desktop for so many years, right? And now I don't feel that way very much at all. I, I it just, I mean, obviously there's the Windows 10 desktop and the Windows 8 desktops and 7 desktops are still huge. Yeah. But you know, it's just funny because what. It seems like, you know, on the Azure front, they're really killing it. Like, they're doing an awesome job. I might argue that it's surprising how many things they're doing at once. I would say, too, I would say they're going out of the box. They are redefining what we think of as Microsoft. And I'm going to say that as being a person who refused to say it for, like, the first year after Satya Nadella got hired. I just, I won't say it until I see it, right? I'm not going to say it until I see it. And the press was saying it. You soon, you know, the day Sache started and nothing had changed, right? And they were still enacting Balmer decisions. They're, oh, it's everything's different. It's a new Microsoft. Like, those are still Balmer decisions. 
Right. Uh, but now here we are, and I mean, they're the top contributor to Go. They were the top contributor to the Linux kernel a little bit ago. They were the top contributor to Docker for a little while. Like uh, they well, they have their yeah, own I, Linux distribution. I mean, my mind is this is that this is a different Microsoft. It's you know what? In some ways, though, it's becoming more competitive too. Well, in a weird way, you know, I felt I feel like Balmer was very interested in the whole devices and um, and platforms aspect in terms of like Windows. Not platforms in terms of Azure, where Nadella is really just—it's it's all going to be Azure, uh, which is the more attractive play. But having said that, that Surface Book is not a bad machine, right? Yeah, if you're going to do Azure. hardware, it's not so if, bad. If, if you like—if you are a developer who likes to work on Windows, I'm thinking the Surface Book is worth a look. Um, and maybe they're hoping. Maybe they're hoping that that isn't even a Windows developer one day. Maybe they're hoping that if you're a developer who likes to work on Azure, that's what I think it's going. That, and that, that was my point. I think they're trying to, like everybody else, you know, who makes high end laptops now, want to get that developer market right. I mean, look at the new System seventy sixes. Look at uh, mm-hmm. Dell's XPS fifteen Sputnik, which is so so nice looking. Yeah. Uh, are they just becoming a tools company now? Plus Xbox and some other crap. Mm, no, I, I, I think, I think they're becoming a, a services infrastructure company. That in order to have the most competitive infrastructure, you have to have really, really good tools. Okay, then let me follow up with you, and then we should move off of this. Okay. Uh, as a as a rabid Linux fan, how do you feel? Nom, nom, like, nom, nom. They are a major contributor to just about mm, the most important open source projects today. How do I feel about Microsoft? You know the being, enemy, being small. the 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 the, uh, the, uh, the Trojan horse that is Microsoft contributing to critical products that are at the uh, key future success of the Linux platform. How do I feel about that? Well, that's one way to ask the question. Uh, I you know how I feel about it. I. Uh, <laughs> Just stroke it a little bit. I want to know where the hell they've been all along. Really, like, catch up, guys. This has obviously been the way to go for quite a while now. Look at the success Google had doing this approach. Yeah. And really, even even I think I think a huge I think a, a huge unsung um, aspect of the Mac OS X desktop because we get so caught up on the fact that it you know I don't know what, whatever people get caught up on about the Mac uh, it's got an app store best plus terrible Keep okay going. yeah 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 but people you know there's a lot of things that oh the Mac this oh the Mac is a great platform because of that well it's memory like candy you know Never what mind. the you know the real reason why the Mac's a great platform because they built it on top of you know an incredible base basement they built it on top of an amazing foundation and an incredible basement that already had the plumbing and the heating and the furnace, right? And and the city hookups, the the TCP IP stack and everything, right? They got everything and then they just built a UI on top of it. But it was that it was that leveraging of open source that let them go boom and then just rocket that operating system up, 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 up and make something truly competitive with Windows that was at the time Mac OS X launched, already like 10, 15 years old or whatever, 10 years or whatever it was, like they they got a huge head start because they utilized open source. So Apple figured it out a long time ago, but Google really nailed it. And then obviously, you look at companies like Red Hat, which fundamentally integrated into the core of their business, and, and other, you know, they're just grown like crazy, and their, their growth trajectory is, is fantastic. Right. So, and then, of course, you know, I, I think it's, so I, 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 my point, I guess what I'm trying to get to is, what took them so long? Ideology. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, I guess I mean, so. We, we don't we don't need to relitigate the nineties, right? No, you're I mean, right. I guess it was. I guess it was. What we're about to do. It was the Windows, Windows, Windows ideology. Developers, developers, Windows, the Windows platform, Windows on your phone, Windows on your watch, Windows on your laptop, Windows on your tablet, Windows in your car, Windows on your in your TV. 
You know, I, I think what's starting to happen, or what has effectively happened, because of the, the cloud, we'll use the, the buzzword, cloud, right? The cloud. We got some the cloud. It doesn't really matter if I'm running a Red Hat server or an Ubuntu server or a FreeBSD server. Um, Windows, maybe, right? But as long as it's some version of a reasonable modern BSD or Linux uh, distro, my Rails, my Java Play app, my PHP website, because PHP aren't applications, um, my Node.js, if I was really drunk, apps are fine, right? Because I'm I'm not that concerned about the underlying platform. And if I take it a step further and I'm using Docker, I don't give a rat's ass, right? Right. It's Ubuntu or Fedora or CentOS or name your distro of choice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it gets less. In fact, you know, in this new world where things are in containers or, or virtualized or, you know, you're, it's just a... It's a JSON feed away. You don't even care what the OS is. In that world, the one operating system you do care about is Windows. Like you do. I mean, that would be the one time where you're going out of the box to have that operating system. Anyways, we should move on. We should move on, yeah, because uh, I'm, I'm sure our free .NET listeners committed to Puku yes. already. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. All right, why don't we talk just for a moment before we go too much further about something that could be a great resource for you. That's Linux Academy. You can get the Coder Radio discount at linuxacademy.com slash coders. They have step-by-step video courses with downloadable comprehensive study guides, and instructor help is available when you're going through their courseware. Self-paced labs with instructor help available. That's a huge huge different difference than a lot of the other online training platforms out there. But it's not their biggest differentiator. Their biggest differentiator is that they are truly passionate and care about op- the open source ecosystem, Linux, and all of the applications that you run on that. Now, you don't have to care about open source. You don't have to care about Linux either. You just have to care that the people that are making your material really, really do, and that this is really their thing. Because that is, the, that is the thing that closes that uncanny valley in the difference between your other online courseware and Linux Academy. Now, the other nice thing about Linux Academy is they really do treat it like a platform that gets features. They, get, they just roll out all the time. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. There's a couple of big ones in October, actually. In fact, I love their new practice exam system that gives you real-time feedback as you're going along. The new professional development certification platform is fantastic. A lot of new tools. Their new CDN has made a huge improvement, and I totally love the fact that that HTML5 player works on everything, including my Linux desktop. It's very nice. Linuxacademy.com slash coders to get the Coder Radio discount. Go check them out. Seven plus distros available when you do the courseware. You choose that distro, and then not only does the courseware adjust to match it, the virtual machines do too. And they got a really cool virtual machine lab. We really get some hands-on experience. It is freaking neat. I can't really tell you all about the AWS stuff because the AWS stuff is my weakest area. But I do know that from our audience feedback, they were blown away at the level of stuff you can learn about the Amazon platform. And one of the cool things is it does integrate in with those virtual servers. You're not getting dinged for the AWS stuff while you're doing the training. And they have a great community because it's stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. And they have live streams at events you can attend and ask the instructors questions in real time. They have graded server exercises, which, if you think about it, is a great way to get confidence when you're working in real time. Scenario-based labs, too, for that confidence. I mean, that's the thing I really love. It's a great platform. You can really get a good skill set. You can challenge yourself. And you can also kind of push the edges and see if something interests you more than you thought in a really safe and controlled way. In a way we can really wrap your head around and say, oh, Ruby, six hours. Yeah, I, could, I can spend six hours or maybe I'll spend three hours, get half into it, and see if it's exciting for me or not. They have the entire content selection available. There's so much great stuff. It's a really neat opportunity. Just try it out. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. 
Go there, check them out, support this show. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio, a program. All right, Mike, let's move on. I know you're a huge fan of crowdfunding and people asking for donations to get their project off the ground. So you were probably uh, really shocked and uh, distraught when you saw that another million-dollar crowdfunding gadget company has collapsed. The robotic dragonfly, the little drone, was an early crowdfunding success story, netting over $1 million in pledges on Indiegogo in 2012. At the time, it was one of the first crowdfunding gadgets to raise more than a million dollars. The project promised a tiny robot that can fly like a bird and hover like an insect for $99. Yeah, Bad news, though. Yeah. Not taking off as scheduled, Mike. Uh, they announced yesterday that they're in deep financial trouble. Yeah. PayPal, although apparently has not been releasing some of Indiegogo's funds, uh, which is a thing sometimes. That has happened to JB, too. And, uh, but, you know, Mike, this isn't the only story like this. And uh, does it, uh, is Mike right? Is that what this means? Is Mike right? Yes, that's exactly what it means. M- Mike was right? Moving right along. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. What do you think about this next story? It's a simple concept. Uh, but it's a long article to get us there. Yes. And we were just spending some serious time talking about Azure. We just talked about how Microsoft is like literally aligning a huge portion of their company behind Azure. This article by uh, Rupert Goodwins over on Ars Technica says the direction of computing is only going to go one way, to the cloud. Even though it had a rocky start, open source and hybrid cloud initiatives have righted the ship. And then there's a huge article, and I'll link to it in the show notes if you guys want to read it. I'm going to give you the punchline, Mike, just because I think you can boil it down to this, and I want to get your thoughts on it, okay? He says, the, the direction of computing is going just one way, towards the cloud. As companies and individuals learn what it can do, many of the new ways of working are opening up. For example, if you're selling a service or providing an app via the cloud, all your users are permanently or very frequently connected. You can watch how they use your product and feed that information straight back into your development cycle to alleviate points of pain or optimize and expand popular areas. That just simply wasn't possible before. You can analyze and act on real-time data to add far more intelligence to your product than your user's device can even support. And Siri and Google Now already show this. The constraints of pre-cloud computing are fading away. And the age of utility is truly here. Are we in the age of utility? Uh, sure. I mean, is I that mean, what Azure is? Is that where we're going? Is that what Microsoft sees? And that's why uh, they're... I mean, the, yeah. The, the, so in the sense of all these services, AWS, Azure, even I would say DigitalOcean, though they have a slightly different model, um, are basically cloud computing, which is kind of a meaningless term as a utility, right? Um, you know, fundamentally, the pay-per-usage uh, model definitely changes the way you think about servers, mm. right? I mean, I'm sure you have memories of buying rack servers. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that. It was – I mean, it, it is – the barrier to entry just getting going is now down to 55 seconds, whereas before it was two weeks, and it was thousands of dollars potentially. Right. And you have to find a colo. I mean, you were probably in a little different situation, but I remember for a very brief time having to worry about colos, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, really, your best bet was to have a friend or a, or a business that already had server space that you could piggyback on because it's if you had to colo, yeah. that's just not happening. Or, yeah. or or it was the know, total other end of the spectrum, really, 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 really crappy virtual hosting that had a two, yes. three, four, three hundred other hosts on it. It was like Apache virtual servers. It wasn't even like yes. a virtual machine, you know? Yep. That, was the, yep. that was the other end of the spectrum. You know, and then we went to somewhat decent VMs. But, you know, it was always wasteful to have those VMs, right? Because And expensive. Very expensive, right? Because you'd really only do one, v, one uh, 
not VM, I'm sorry, one VPS, which are basically VM machines from yes. most vendors at the yes. time. Yes, yes. And you always ended up just running one application on them or two, right? Because you're always worried, oh, what's going to happen? Right, you don't want the problem of loading the machine up too much. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember paying, well, I mean, I pay some significant DO bills right now, but I remember paying astronomical fees for servers. Oh, yeah. And I remember it being a big problem of, oh, you know, customer A didn't pay their hosting bill. Mm-hmm. So are we going to cancel their server? Right, because we can't afford that out of pocket. It's so expensive. You just can't cover it, right? Yeah, you can't, you can't cover I, I remember some places I worked for, there there were serious discussions about not being able to afford the, ba- the bandwidth bill that month or the data center bill because a customer yeah. had a huge backup, you know? I mean, that could still happen, right? I mean, I've, I've seen AWS bills that would make grown men cry, but it's... Um, yeah, I, I it think is, I have cried from some. Yeah, if you're not... Well, you are always going to be screwed because you're doing media content. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, well. If you're not doing that and you're a little frugal in how you develop your services, you can be pretty cheap. Uh, I mean, my DO bill, which I consider high, is now like 200 bucks a month, mm. where I used to pay a couple thousand for servers a month. Right. I, I mean, it, and it depended, and it would, it would be wildly, you know, if you had a client for six months that was a big client, you would double your ser- server bill for that six months. And it was just part of operating, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, well, this will cost me another $30 a month. Mm-hmm, I mean, really? Mm-hmm. It, it's so, And that's a really, and that $30 a month is a really nice server. Yeah, that, that is like the equivalent of everything I used to run in one little <laughs> DO droplet. Right. <laughs> yeah, you could, you, could spin up, you could spin up 30 Docker containers in there and you're good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we found that I, I just have like servers I've been running on DO and didn't know about because they were five bucks or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It is sort of it is it is the age of utility in that sense, very much so. Uh, but I think what the uh, the thing that gets me about this is this sort of one or uh, or, or a one or zero type. It is all cloud computing or and 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 dumb terminals, or it's going to be all local power. Like to me, it doesn't feel like it's going to be so black and white. No, it's going to yeah. I mean, not to get back to Microsoft, but I think they have the right idea here, right? There are use cases where the public cloud makes a lot of sense. But there, are, there's also such a thing as a quote hybrid cloud, right? Where, you know, for regulatory reasons or other reasons, you may, or, or you know, for whatever weird reason, you may want part of your infrastructure to be physically on site and part of it to be on one of these clouds. Mm, yeah, totally. And I think that's kind of the next frontier. Yeah, I can see uh, that. Can I, can I just throw my crazy thing out here? Yeah, go. I think all of these specific platforms are eventually going to go away. Uh, I think for the Ooh. vast majority of development use cases, you're not going to care where your customer, client, employer is running their software, their service software. Huh. You're going to care about the application platform, i.e. Rails, um, Node.js, whatever. Uh, and, and that will probably change over time, too, what those platforms are. So, like, uh, so uh, what are you saying exactly? I don't quite uh, follow you. The target, instead of it being, oh, I'm developing, let's just take a simple case that's a little bit, you know, Dumb down. Instead of saying I'm developing you a Rails web application to be run on uh, an you know AWS Ubuntu instance or an Azure Ubuntu instance or whatever, it's going to be here's your container with the finished application. It's a Ruby on Rails app. Throw the container wherever you need to throw it. Hmm. That's it. You think Dropbox is sort of that today? Like when you think about it, when you put your data in Dropbox, you have no idea if it's going across S3, Rackspace, their own internal servers. Yeah, it's an interesting analogy, kind of like a, a, a platform version of a Dropbox. Um, I haven't thought of it that way, but I think 
I think that's what's going to happen, and I think we're going to see a lot more uh, heterogeneous deployments, right? So instead of a company being like, oh, we're a canonical shop, all our servers are Ubuntu, or oh, we're a Microsoft shop, all of our stuff is Azure, or, or uh, hmm. I'm sorry, what do you call it? Uh, what Server, whatever they call it, Windows Server. Duh. Yeah, they, yeah. Right, I even forgot its name. It's so irrelevant. Oh, it's just called Windows. It, it's just not going to matter, right? It's going to be... And I'm not even saying it has to be Docker, but Docker is kind of the sweetheart of the container space now. It's going to be, you know, we have fit this, uh, we are meeting this protocol, we are meeting this list of specifications. Yeah. Um, So let's just say we are, here's your Docker container. Here's your insert new technology now container. You can deploy it anywhere. And that's it. And and that is going to be the end. No more discussion about OSs. No more discussion about distros. Um, for the vast majority of cases, obviously legacy and stuff like that. But <clears throat> yeah, I can I, always see like uh, like workloads where you need to have um, some say about the lower level of the of the of the of the operating system where you you know that's where you get kind of specific. It's just not going to matter. I mean, I would say that there are going to be maybe five companies in the country and maybe ten in the world that need to care about that. For people doing dev shops, for the vast majority of even large businesses. They simply won't need to care because any any tax on performance, it'll be just so damn cheap to pay a little more for, a, you know, I mean, look at DigitalOcean's prices, not to give them an extended ad here, but $5 for a full SSD server. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. And right? a terabyte of transfer, yeah. <laughs> Five years ago, that would have been ridiculous. Like, you, yeah. you would never believe that. I paid, I, for a terabyte of transfer five years ago, I paid $1,200. Right. Just for the transfer, not even the server, the power, or the rent uh, oh, rent of the rack. If you weren't smart in how you were caching data on the client, I remember like actively avoiding hitting the network just to avoid transfer costs. Mm-hmm. Right now, I don't even think about it at all. I mean, I only think about it if I'm worried about lag on the client. Um, and I'm not talking about tomorrow. I want to be clear: this is a five to ten year thing. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, if we're still doing the show in ten years. And this is a grim prediction, by the way, for Canonical and for other people who are trying to, to in quotes, sell you a server OS. I, I you know, the, the Buccaneer tech that's founded in 2020 isn't going to give a rat's ass about what the underlying OS is. And basically no one else is. And they'll be right not to care. It's just going to be containerized applications. And maybe even the buzzword containers will be dead by then. That just... A Rails app is a Rails app. A Go app is a Go app. PHP app is PHP app. And again, all of those technologies may or may not be dead by then. But that's my little prediction. I like that. I mean, I think you're pretty dead on, Mike. I think you're pretty dead on. Uh, boy, I'm just, uh, I was just looking up here. Uh, I was trying to look up Microsoft's uh, revenue from Azure. Uh, I don't, do they break that out? I thought it was just. No, I'm not seeing it. Services. Uh, yeah, I don't see it. But, uh, you know, what I was thinking, well, the reason why I was looking it up is I think this is where they're at. This is where their head's at. And uh, I think they're, I think it's, I, th- I don't know, it's a big play. But, you know, what? it almost, when you say it the way you just said it, it almost seems obvious. It just almost well, it, seems, it just seems like the natural evolution of even, like, I feel like I can see it today if things just keep, certain things just go a certain way. I can see it there where, you well, know. It's abstraction, it, right? That's all it is. It's continued abstraction. Yes, yes. Yeah, and 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 that continues to bring the the the, the services more down to utility level, to the point where you just plug it in the light socket. And you know, I think about this, and I think to myself, I at least while I'm alive, I will probably always be somebody who's 
somewhere more in the middle. And I, you know, like the digital, okay, so DigitalOcean sponsored, just disclaimer of the Core Radio program, DigitalOcean, uh, Coder Digital get a $10 credit. Uh, I look at that and I think to myself, I'm probably always going to be that guy that wants to know it's Ubuntu 14.04 with these packages installed and I'm going to take snapshots of the operating system and I'm going to deploy these applications in a certain way uh, because at least as long as I've been using computers, the, in the media production industry, there's always – it's, it's, it's just so many little edge cases that you just eventually always have to go this route. Um, and and so I could always imagine there's going to be some people like that, but I think the majority of of people are like exactly what you're going to say, or, or exactly what you are talking about. And if you think about it, even DigitalOcean is kind of there now. You could be working on some your next big thing in a Docker container on your MacBook, right, or whatever, or a Linux laptop, or a or a Surface Book, and then you can you could you could send that up to uh, the Docker Hub. And then deploy that on a DigitalOcean droplet and probably, you know, you could get the DigitalOcean droplet set up in 55 seconds. You could get the Docker image deployed. You can get the one-click app, one-click to deploy Docker onto that droplet, right? And then it's one more command to pull down your, 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 your Docker image. And now that thing you've been working on, on your, on your laptop, within five minutes, you've got it up on a full-fledged server. And really, you've pushed a few buttons, you haven't you haven't installed Ubuntu. You you haven't you haven't installed Docker. You mean you have, but 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 DigitalOcean has done it. And the thing is, Mike, is the way they have done it is standards compliant, secure, reviewed, and it's part of their overall service feature platform. So they're constantly trying to make it better, right? So it's an area where they are continuously focused, and because they work upstream with the projects and things like that, they are doing it in a way that is actually sanctioned by the people that make the software. In, in, in other words, they're doing it as good as it can be done, and they're doing it in an automated way. And, and that also is another reason why it's going to go to such a utility. And, and so it's, it's fascinating to see this range that we're in right now where I can still do the nitty-gritty. You know, I could say go to use Fedora 23 or Debian, and I could install certain packages – or we're now at the point now where in 55 seconds I have a machine deployed with Docker or GitLab and it's ready to go and it's yeah. you, you log in uh, and you know and part of that is combining their intuitive interface and everybody's working on this I think they're a little bit ahead but everybody's going to have their own take on it so you're right uh, and DigitalOcean has has been a huge change for me and that's why we were like okay they got to sponsor Coda Radio because it's obvious that way they're awesome I and mean, let me up the ante for you a little bit not to interrupt the read but. Um, all you have to do is get like an Ubuntu or your distro of choice DO server set up, make a snapshot with nothing on it except for do a Doku install. Yeah. And then you can have your own, just keep redeploying it over and over and over again, your own baby Heroku where your deployment mechanism is Git and you're done. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It is, um, a, it is, it is a totally different playing field now. And uh, you can try it two months for free. Coder Digital. I mean, it is really cool. And like Mike and I have talked about, it's changed the way we look at deploying services. And I kind of agree in a way. It does seem like it's going – I wouldn't say it's going to the cloud. I think I like your your uh, your version better. It's going to – as a utility. And how that utility is delivered may vary, but the details won't matter to the end user. It's essentially what you're saying. Is it, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it just – it's simply – you will – to deploy a web application, you're not going to need to know too much about server administration yeah. or, frankly, the Linux command line. Yeah. Which, yeah. All right. We have a hard question. Uh, our email came into the show this week. This is so. a tough one, and I don't, uh, I don't really know how to answer this because, like, 
Well, it tugs at my heartstrings. So Adam writes in, experience, money, or fun is the topic. He says, hi. I just finished my first year at, an, at a university. As much as, I would, uh, as much as I wouldn't like to go to uni, it seems to be the place uh, of paper at the end of my degree. It seems to have that on the end of my degree uh, is everything employees care about here in Australia. So with that bit of background, my question is this. What do you think is the best thing I can do with my spare time over the next few months? Over his break. Some of my family members work in non-technical side of a fairly big technology company over here, and they've said they could try to get me in as an internship in their cloud department, which in their experience offers a high likelihood of actual paid work later on in the summer. Now, I'm a very recent quote-unquote adult, and I understand that it's a good idea to make use of these connections that I have, but at the same time, I don't want to just end up in an office job over the break. I feel like I should be out there exploring this new adult world and seeing if there's something else out there that this industry catches my interest with. Other than that, I'm going to sign up for Linux Academy, which might also excite me enough to look for jobs uh, in another position or th- of the market. And as someone who is still yet to touch an app or do any development, I thought I might try my hand at that. What do you think is the best place or the best place to put my efforts? Thanks for being the first and favorite podcast, Adam. Oh, wow, that is nice. So I'm, I'm, you know what, Chris, I'm going to tell him what you told me that night in that wonderful pink and purple bar. Just no, no, no. That was, when yes to everything. that was when we were in the backseat of the car, dude. That was when oh. we were in the backseat of the car. Yeah. Close your eyes and say yes. You know, I don't know. I'm really torn. Uh, so here's the thing, Adam. Uh, here's what I say. These are family connections, right? This sounds like he says. Uh, uh, what do you? Th- he says uh, uh, some of my family members work in a non-technical side of a fairly big technology company. Well, family's not going to go away. I mean, maybe you do just try a few things and see how it goes, and then go back to them and be like, "Okay, I'd love to take you up on that offer now." I mean, is it a limited time offer? Does it? Does the time expire a, next summer? A, Can you not do it? Just a summer internship, though. I would actually suggest you just do it. I would too. Actually, is when I right. thought that I thought, "Wow, that is a great experience." And you can go in there, and you know what? If okay, here I, I hope our show hasn't done this to Adam. If you go in there and you like that office job, that's not a bad thing. Enjoy, no, it's not. And enjoy it. Either way, you know it's a three month commitment, and it's an internship, paid or not paid. I have no idea. But if you love it, well, as an intern there, you could probably get a job there. And if you hate it, you know not to do that. You have a date that you don't have to be there anymore. Yeah. Not only that, but then you've learned what not to do when you go out, which is a super important lesson. Maybe they're doing, you know, Rails development or whatever their quote cloud department is doing. Okay, I hate Ruby. Done. Yeah. Like, I I think I just wanted to mention if it's family, it's probably not as drastic of a decision he's trying to make. It's probably he could he can probably zoom out a bit and take a deep breath. But my gut would be to kind of go for it, just because that experience is. Is is pretty good, and you can take what you figure out in with you to school next year, and sort of maybe shape where you go with that. You know what I mean? Like it's an opportunity to kind of suss out what works and doesn't work for you. You'll learn a lot. I mean, you, you even if you don't like it, even if you think your boss is a crazy coke off a MacBook kind of guy, <laughs> you will. Uh, so I'm talking about Chris Fisher again, by the way. Oh, Jesus, he's a jackass. You and I are not on to- speaking terms right now, Barry. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You, even if you decide that you hate it, it is the right thing to do. It's good for your resume. And, you know, people don't expect a lot of it in interns. That's usually. true. And you know what? It also shows some good character if you start early on that stuff. And then plus you can say, I've been working in the field for X amount of years when you're 30. And you can, be, you can throw down like 10 or whatever it's been. You right. know, so that's nice too. So think about it. I would say both Mike and I say we are inclined to say it. yes, do it. Yeah. However, I'm not going to judge you because you, they are family. You can probably get that connection again. But honestly – you know that other stuff you think you might like better? 
You could do it at night on the weekends or another time. Well, I mean, you're gonna have a well, and you're gonna have a much better shot of landing that gig if you got a little experience under your belt. I would do it. Yeah. All right, so if you want to email the Coda Radio program, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Coda Radio from the dropdown or engage with the broader community over at coderadio.reddit.com that needs some love. And that's a great place to submit topics and stories. That's where some of this stuff came from over there. All right, Mr. Dominic, anything else? Oh, we do have another topic. Yes, good, good. Good, good, yes. So in secret, much like Sauron, (laughs) I have been forging a hybrid app. Ooh, and I'm making a little pledge to myself that starting Q4 2015, which which is now, by the way, um, <laughs> and the remainder of the I don't know what I want. Whoa, 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 like, whoa, whoa, whoa that, sorry. Barry and Richard all I put, I put my elbow down on the keyboard when I was listening to you. <laughs> yeah, it, was like the, it was like they combined their it was, power. It was Bacard. Sorry, I was... Hey, hold on, let me see if I can. I'll see if I can get it. Computer, again. this isn't what I wanted at all. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was Barry and Bacard at the same time because I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm listening to this, and I put my elbow down. <laughs> So I should have started this earlier, but I've been in the process of developing the Psionic application. Yeah, I've um, heard a few, hint, a few hints. And, you know, I'm actually going to ship this one because I just have to ship something sometime, right? It is... I, not- I did it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, hands up, Chris. Just like put your hands up. <laughs> oh, you're very interesting. I'm sorry. You really have my attention. All right. It's not what you would expect. I'm, I'm not going to uh, spill the bacon just yet because it should be out, hopefully, by okay. the next Monday. Okay. Um, and I just wanted to quickly discuss kind of the road so far working with Ionic. These mm. hardware are iOS and Android, obviously. Um, so right off the bat, Ionic is so much better than Xamarin. It's really? Just a huge difference, huh? Well, better than Xam forms, I should say. Okay. Right. Because Ionic is basically Cordova, mm. with a little bit of goodness sprinkled on top of it. Mm. So much to the point that the Cordo- the plugins you're using are straight up Cordova plugins. Oh, really? Yes. Hmm. So, no, I I definitely like all the guys working on Ionic. I like what they say. I'm in fact thinking of using more of their platform tools because there's they, uh, their business model is they're going to want to sell you tools, deployment tools, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, they have a market here. Is this what I'm looking at? Yeah, those are people can post their own like prefab whatever material design for our Ionic. Yeah. Nice. Their their big thing that I'm interested in is they have something called the Ionic platform, which supposedly does all the code signing and deployment f- for you from any machine. No kidding. So you don't necessarily have to do it on a Mac, um, but that's a story for a different day because I haven't tried it yet. Okay, yeah, I'm curious about that. the The interesting thing I find about it, it is it is Cordova, right, at its core. Um, it's got a little bit of Angular JS sprinkled on there, but you can use as much or as little as you want. I like to use a lot because faster development means lower costs, and that's good for everybody. The so the big question is: All right, first of all, if you've decided to go hybrid, I'm not going to have that you know argument again because we talk about it all the time. But why Ionic over something like Xamarin, right? Which is really why HTML5 over some sort of cross compilation um, solution. Well, the the reason uh, we went with Ionic is pretty simple. Xamarin's very magical, and it, you have to understand that the, the Xamarin I'm talking about right now is Xamarin Forms, um, because you know if you're going to compare apples to apples, it's really unfair to compare Xamarin Classic, where you have to design two UIs, have two view view layers, one for each platform, against Ionic, which you're specific or Cordova, right? Because they're the same damn thing. I know that's. You know, Ionic and Cordova are built on each other. 
which is not the case, right? You have one HTML file, you have template files, but they're uniform between the two platforms. Xamarin Classic, in quotes, is not the case. You have a okay. storyboard for iOS, mm. and you have your layout files for Android. I've never done it, so that's good to know. Right. Xamarin Forms is like Ionic and Cordova are, where you have a XAML file that's just the layout, and it's shared mm-hmm. between them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing why Xamarin can be problematic, but we've had all kinds of problems with it. Um, so why Ionic? What does it give you? Well, it gives you some pretty good speed of development. Um, it gives you all of the Cordova plugins. It is Cordova, which is good and bad, right? Because So if there's an iOS 9 issue, let's mm. say, in Cordova, then there's an iOS 9 issue in Ionic. And I'm not even sure how much I love the name Ionic because it makes it sound like it's something different when really this is Cordova with some prepackaged libraries that you could easily add yourself. Huh, so it's more of a branding? Well, I, let me let me run that back a little bit. If you're not using their proprietary tools, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But they do a lot for you. Um, so it's interesting, right? Because your application is structured as very Angular style. So you have controllers, you have templates, you have factories and possibly hmm. services. Hmm. Development-wise, it's a pretty smooth experience, but it's a very text editor-based experience, right? Mm. Uh, for this project, I've been using Atom exclusively. They do have the ability to debug your application in Chrome using the Ionic serve command. I found that to be spotty at best. Mm. Uh, one of the big problems is if you're working uh, with an API that needs has any kind of security on it, sometimes you'll have to turn off cores on Chrome. And that, as anyone who's dealt with uh, cores, you know, the cross-site scripting stuff, is just a bag of cats. So what you the workflow ends up actually being running the iOS emulator, running it on your device via Xcode, or running it... Uh, for Android, I was actually using the Android command line tools to run it on a device. Performance-wise, again, it's interesting, right? It, it is as performant as you might expect from a very well-designed phone gap application. Um, again, because the engine is, Chris, what is the engine? What is it? Uh, Cordova. Cordova. It's just Cordova. Yeah. I mean, as much as, I mean, I, again, I, I think it's a great technology, but as much as they might want to say it's not, it is. And, you know, it, it, the fact that when you run the app, it installs all the Cordova plugins. It, <laughs> That's kind of a giveaway right there. <laughs> right. It literally has all the window.plugin stuff. Like, it, it is a, it's a very opinion, this is probably good, it's a very opinionated Cordova application. So instead of it being, here's your, you know, HTML page, do some JavaScript, it's, here's how we structure an application and do it our way. There were some problems, though, right? Um, and some of them are based on it being cross-platform. So, for instance, Android actually does a really good job of not screwing up uh, animations between views if you're loading data. iOS, not so much. Mm-hmm. And there's some ambiguity <laughs> in the Ionic view cycle where, for instance, there's enter, before enter, after enter, on enter, blah, 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 blah. Where on Android, it might seem fine, but you have to be very careful about what you do on iOS. Much like uh, iOS native developers will know, you have to be a little careful on what you do on view will appear, right? Because you might, you know, block the UI thread and basically screw up your loading. There's a... Why are you laughing? It's just all these, there, all these little nuances you have to remember is really the trick to being a good developer. <laughs> right. And, and there's some stuff with networking, too, that, that gets interesting. 
Yeah. Uh, but those are mostly Cordova problems, right? Yeah, and, and it doesn't sound like they're not insurmountable. I would say the biggest problem is, you know, Apple's lackluster support for JavaScript. Um, you know, this is one of the – well, I'll take it back. PhoneGap applications are the only applications I've ever worked on that have been cross-platform and performed better on Android, like universally. Yeah, wow. And I think it's because Google puts a lot of effort into – keeping their JavaScript engine that you embed, right, to be top-notch, where Apple... I mean, it was just in iOS 9 you got Safari, Vue, and, yeah. And and until iOS 9, uh, it, you know, JavaScript embedded in an application did not have the same performance advantage that the main Safari browser did. I don't think it does now either. I don't think... Oh, Web, really? I think they still use uh, UI WebView. Okay. Remember, right. there's, like, there's three WebView classes. Yes, and on. UI WebView still isn't all that competitive. Well, UI WebView... It, the, so there's problems, though, right? Because Safari View can just, and this is way in the weeds of native development, but Safari View Controller is very opinionated on what you're doing. Mm. You can do some stuff with Safari View Controller. You can't, and I may be wrong, and if someone from the Cordova project could correct me, that would be great. I don't think Cordova uses Safari View Controller, and I don't think they can without some pretty interesting workarounds. Yeah. It like sounds I, like, basically, if you want to use Safari View Controller, you let... Safari takeover. Well, and the other logical problem is you have to only support iOS 9. <laughs> well, there's that too. <laughs> um, or maybe it is 8, but either way. That's no, right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, well, it might it's be. Nine. It's, it's yeah, nine. I think it's 9. Yeah, which is, you know, 85 maybe percent of the market, but still not not that, you know, loud 15 percent that's got those iPads that haven't upgraded because they don't have enough space or whatever. Uh, don't even get me started on the iPad. Uh, so, yeah. It, it, it's it's funny because you, in a weird way, you feel like you're kind of going against the Apple development ecosystem here. And having said that, the app is now in a final QA phase, right? It's just doing some testing, um, working out some kinks, getting the App Store pages ready, ready to go. Both look fine. They look very similar. There's some – one of the nice things you get with Ionic now is – it automatically restyles the Cordova bars to be in the right place for each platform. So if it's a tab bar on the top for Android, on the bottom for iOS, which is super helpful. Mm. Um, I think this is probably the direction I'm going to be going in. I mean, I've been doing a lot of PhoneGap anyway and a lot of Ionic anyway. And I would almost argue that if you're doing Cordova by yourself, you're just gouging hours because you don't need to write a tab bar, Right. And to be honest, I don't think anyone was really doing Cordova by itself. They were doing Cordova plus UI library, which is a big part of Ionic. It's just a UI library. Um, they have their own tab bar, nav bar, blah, 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 blah. Uh, jQuery mobile, right? Another UI library, a lot older, but same thing. They have their own nav stack, their own tab bars. But I'm starting to wonder if the strategy of, you know, we took a very, very different approach this time than, than I've taken before of instead of doing this artisan, Mac, native, iOS, you know, we're going to do it by hand. We're going to write our own damn engine. We're going to do everything. We took the opposite approach. Hybrid, both platforms. Anything we can get out of the box, we're using out of the box. Shipping it fast. We've got another project we want to do. And we're going to ship that fast, too. I mean, this is what was I like. I think we did the majority of the work in like a week or two. That must have felt good. I mean, that yeah, must have been like that must have been exciting almost because it's just moving so fast. Moving so fast, yeah. It's a pretty, pretty quick way to validate ideas, get things out there, just to see if they're worth doing. And 
I, I'm pleased to say that you know it looks good. Um, it there's the application itself, and we'll talk about it on the show, has some pretty custom UI in it at some point. But it looks, you know, I'm not sure you would tell that it wasn't native if I didn't just tell you that. Really? You you really think, like, I wouldn't be able to sniff that out? You might. You might. But you, the only way you'd be able to sniff it out is in some of the places we're using the Ionic styling for stuff. Uh, we're using their modal, and we just reskinned it. I don't think you'll really know performance-wise. I don't think there's any major hiccups, which is which is... You know, compared to jQuery Mobile, huge, right? I mean, I could tell you horror stories of jQuery Mobile UI just croaking. I mean, when I think back on that kind of stuff, it's always been a horror story. That's why I'm really kind of shocked to hear you say that it's it's almost indistinguishable. It's pretty damn close. I mean, and this app, to be fair, is a very data-driven app, so it's not... Oh, well, that's actually perfect, isn't it? Right. It's, it's very about statistics and data, so there's not a lot of you know, whiz-bang stuff going on. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it more, and, and as I move on to the next project, we'll talk about it. But I would definitely okay. suggest, you know, when the app comes out, we'll talk about it. But I would definitely suggest that, um, you know, if you're doing Cordova development, and that's Cordova with the V, by the way, mm-hmm. someone asked in the chat room, instead of just jumping into jQuery Mobile and inheriting all that problems and adding what was likely 200 hours of work just doing your own UI elements, yeah. Why not just import Ionic, use their UI elements, and get some get some extra, you know, built-in components that you could use? Otherwise, you're just wasting money, really. And I can't speak for any of their other tools, the Ionic Creator, the Ionic Platform, or I mean, they have all kinds of crap. Just basically take a noun, put Ionic in front of it, and they've got it. But the core technology is very good um, so far. I mean, this is not the first project I've done with Ionic. I'll say that. Yeah. So you've been you've and, been kind of testing the waters. So this is not like it's it's not your first go. No, it's not. And we've done a lot of like line of businessy boring stuff with it. Um, but this is the first one we're releasing under you know I'm releasing under the Buccaneer name mm. as like a public consumer facing thing. Yeah. So should be should be fun. Huh. So uh, where would I go if I was you know maybe I heard maybe I was listening to this episode a couple of months down the road. Is there like a Twitter feed I could check to see if anything's happened or something? Check uh, at Buccaneer Tech. Boom. There you go. All right. Also check out coderadio.reddit.com to submit stuff back to this here, here show. We'd love to get your inputs over there. Make the show even better. Also jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/contact would be a good place to go to. Don't forget we do this show live, jblive.tv. That's the ultimate interaction, our live chat room. We do this show at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Has that in your local time. Mike, if there's anywhere you want to send people before we get out of here, give it a shout. I'll say at Chris LES to follow me on the Twitters. Yep, check out buccaneer.io. We have a, a write-up on the iPad Pro. That's right. That's right, a topic we didn't even get to today. Yeah, at buccaneertech.io. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Quota Radio. We'd love to see you here live, but if we can't, you can always find downloads over jupiterbroadcasting.com and RSS feeds to get us weekly. See you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.